chapter four of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four divisions in congress letters of general washington on the state of public affairs invasion of georgia general howe defeated by colonel campbell savannah taken sunbury surrenders georgia reduced general lincoln takes command of the southern army major gardner defeated by general moultrie insurrection of the tories in south carolina they are defeated by colonel pickens ash surprised and defeated moultrie retreats prevost marches to charleston lincoln attacks the british at stono ferry unsuccessfully invasion of virginia seventeen seventy nine after the relinquishment of that extensive plan of conquest which had been meditated against canada no other object seemed to call forth the energies of the nation and a general languor appeared to diffuse itself through all the civil departments the alliance with france was believed to secure independence and a confidence that britain could no longer prosecute the war with any hope of success a confidence encouraged by communications from europe prevented those exertions which were practicable but which it was painful to make this temper was seen and deplored by the commander-in-chief who incessantly combated the opinion that britain was about to relinquish the contest and insisted that great and vigorous exertions on the part of the united states were still necessary to bring the war to a successful termination it being no longer practicable to engage soldiers by voluntary enlistment and government not daring to force men into the service for three years or during the war the vacant ranks were scantily supplied with drafts for nine twelve and eighteen months a great proportion of the troops were discharged in the course of each year and except that the old officers remained almost a new army was to be formed for every campaign although the commander-in-chief pressed congress and the state governments continually and urgently to take timely measures for supplying the places of those who were leaving the service the means adopted were so slow and ineffectual in their operation that the season for action never found the preparations completed and the necessity of struggling against superior numbers was perpetual the pleasing delusion that the war was over to which the public mind delighted to surrender itself made no impression on the judgment of washington viewing objects through a more correct medium he perceived that great britain had yet much to hope and america much to fear from a continuance of hostilities he feared that the impression which the divisions and apparent inertness of the united states had made on the british commissioners would be communicated to their government and this consideration increased his anxiety in favor of early and vigorous preparations for the next campaign yet it was not until the twenty third of january that congress passed the resolution authorizing the commander-in-chief to re-enlist the army nor until the ninth of march that the requisition was made on the several states for their quotas the bounty offered by the first resolution being found insufficient the government was again under the necessity of resorting to the states thus at a season when the men ought to have been in camp the measures for raising them were still to be adopted about this period several circumstances conspired to foment those pernicious divisions and factions in congress which in times of greater apparent danger patriotism would have suppressed 
the ministers of the united states in europe had reciprocally criminated each other and some of them had been recalled divisions in congress their friends in congress supported their respective interests with considerable animation and at length mr dean published a manifesto in which he arraigned at the bar of the public the conduct not only of those concerned in foreign negotiations but of the members of congress themselves the irritation excited by these and other contests was not a little increased by the appearance in a new york paper of an extract from a letter written by mr lawrence the president of the congress to governor houston of georgia which during the invasion of that state was found among his papers in this letter mr lawrence had unbosomed himself with the unsuspecting confidence of a person communicating to a friend the inmost operations of his mind in a gloomy moment he had expressed himself with a degree of severity which even his own opinion when not under the immediate influence of chagrin would not entirely justify and had reflected on the integrity and patriotism of members without particularizing the individuals he designed to censure these altercations added much to the alarm with which general washington viewed that security which had insinuated itself into the public mind and his endeavors were unremitting to impress the same apprehensions on those who were supposed capable of removing the delusion in his confidential letters to gentlemen of the most influence in the several states he represented in strong terms the dangers which yet threatened the country and earnestly exhorted them to a continuance of those sacrifices and exertions which he still deemed essential to the happy termination of the war the dissensions in congress the removal of individuals of the highest influence and character from the councils of the nation to offices in the respective states the depreciation of the currency the destructive spirit of speculation which the imaginary gain produced by this depreciation had diffused throughout the union a general laxity of principles and an unwillingness to encounter personal inconvenience for the attainment of the great object in pursuit of which so much blood and treasure had been expended were the rocks on which he apprehended the state vessel might yet split and to which he endeavoured incessantly to point the attention of those whose weight of political character enable them to guide the helm letters from general washington on the state of public affairs i am particularly desirous of a free communication of sentiments with you at this time says the general in a letter written to a gentleman of splendid political talents because i view things very differently i fear from what people in general do who seem to think the contest at an end and that to make money and get places are the only things now remaining to be done i have seen without despondency even for a moment the hours which america has styled her gloomy ones but i have beheld no day since the commencement of hostilities when i have thought her liberties in such imminent danger as at present friends and foes seem now to combine to pull down the goodly fabric we have hitherto been raising at the expense of so much time blood and treasure after censuring with some freedom the prevailing opinions of the day he added to me it appears no unjust simile to compare the affairs of this great continent to the mechanism of a clock each state representing some one or other of the smaller parts of it 
which they are endeavouring to put in fine order without considering how useless and unavailing their labour is unless the great wheel or spring which is to set the whole in motion is also well attended to and kept in good order i allude to no particular state nor do i mean to cast reflections upon any one of them nor ought i it may be said to do so on their representatives but as it is a fact too notorious to be concealed that congress is rent by party that much business of a trifling nature and personal concernment withdraws their attention from matters of great national moment at this critical period when it is also known that idleness and dissipation take place of close attention and application no man who wishes well to the liberties of this country and desires to see its rights established can avoid crying out where are our men of abilities why do they not come forth to save their country let this voice my dear sir call upon you jefferson and others do not from a mistaken opinion that we are to sit down under our vine in our own fig-tree let our hitherto noble struggle end in ignominy believe me when i tell you there is danger of it i have pretty good reasons for thinking that administration a little while ago had resolved to give the matter up and negotiate a peace with us upon almost any terms but i shall be much mistaken if they do not now from the present state of our currency dissensions and other circumstances push matters to the utmost extremity nothing i am sure will prevent it but the intervention of spain and their disappointed hope from russia the circumstances and the situation and temper of america which made so deep an impression on the commander-in-chief operated with equal force on the british commissioners and induced them to think that by continuing the war more favourable terms than were now demanded might be obtained they seem to have taken up the opinion that the mass of the people fatigued and worn out by the complicated calamities of the struggle sincerely desired an accommodation on the terms proposed by great britain and that the increasing difficulties resulting from the failure of public credit would induce them to desert congress or compel that body to accede to those terms these opinions when communicated to the government most probably contributed to protract the war the narrative of military transactions will now be resumed the british arms had heretofore been chiefly directed against the northern and middle states the strongest parts of the american continent were pressed by their whole force and with the exception of the attempt on sullivan's island in seventeen seventy six no serious design had yet been manifested to make an impression in the south entertaining the most confident hopes of recovering all the colonies the british government had not prosecuted the war with a view to partial conquest but the loss of the army commanded by burgoyne the alliance of america with france and the unexpected obstinacy with which the contest was maintained had diminished their confidence and when the pacific propositions made in seventeen seventy eight were rejected the resolution seems to have been taken to change materially the object of their military operations and maintaining possession of the islands of new york 
to direct their arms against the southern states on which it was believed a considerable impression might be made it was not unreasonable to suppose that the influence of this impression might extend northward but however this might be the actual conquest and possession of several states would when negotiations for a general peace should take place give a complexion to those negotiations and afford plausible ground for insisting to retain territory already acquired the most active and interesting operations therefore of the succeeding campaigns were in the southern states lieutenant colonel campbell who sailed from the hook about the last of november seventeen seventy eight escorted by a small squadron commanded by commodore hyde parker reached the isle of tybee near the savannah on the twenty third of december and in a few days the fleet and the transports passed the bar and anchored in the river the command of the southern army composed of the troops of south carolina and georgia had been committed to major-general robert howe who in the course of the preceding summer had invaded east florida the diseases incident to the climate made such ravages among his raw soldiers that though he had scarcely seen an enemy he found himself compelled to hasten out of the country with considerable loss after this disastrous enterprise his army consisting of between six and seven hundred continental troops aided by a few hundred militia had encamped in the neighbourhood of the town of savannah situated on the southern bank of the river bearing that name the country about the mouth of the river is one tract of deep marsh intersected by creeks and cuts of water impassable for troops at any time of the tide except over causeways extending through the sunken ground invasion of georgia without much opposition lieutenant colonel campbell effected a landing on the twenty ninth about three miles below the town upon which howe formed his line of battle his left was secured by the river and along the whole extent of his front was a morass which stretched to his right and was believed by him to be impassable for such a distance as effectually to secure that wing after reconnoitring the country colonel campbell advanced on the great road leading to savannah and about three in the afternoon appeared in sight of the american army while making dispositions to dislodge it he accidentally fell in with a negro who informed him of a private path leading through the swamp round the right of the american lines to their rear determining to avail himself of this path he detached a column under sir james baird which entered the morass unperceived by howe general howe defeated by the british under colonel campbell who takes possession of savannah as soon as sir james emerged from the swamp he attacked and dispersed a body of georgia militia which gave the first notice to the american general of the danger which threatened his rear at the same instant the british troops in his front were put in motion and their artillery began to play upon him a retreat was immediately ordered and the continental troops were under the necessity of running across a plain in front of the corps which had been led into their rear by sir james baird who attacked their flanks with great impetuosity and considerable effect the few who escaped retreated up the savannah and crossing that river at zubley's ferry took refuge in south carolina the victory was complete and decisive in its consequences about one hundred americans were either killed in the field 
or drowned in attempting to escape through a deep swamp thirty-eight officers and four hundred and fifteen privates were taken forty-eight pieces of cannon twenty-three mortars the fort with all its military stores a large quantity of provisions collected for the use of the army and the capital of georgia fell into the hands of the conqueror these advantages were obtained at the expense of only seven killed and nineteen wounded no military force now remained in georgia except the garrison of sunbury whose retreat to south carolina was cut off all the lower part of that state was occupied by the british who adopted measures to secure the conquest they had made the inhabitants were treated with a lenity as wise as it was humane their property was spared and their persons protected to make the best use of victory and of the impression produced by the moderation of the victors a proclamation was issued inviting the inhabitants to repair to the british standard and offering protection to those who would return to their allegiance the effect of these measures did not disappoint those who adopted them the inhabitants flocked in great numbers to the royal standard military corps for the protection of the country were formed and posts were established for a considerable distance up the river sunbury surrenders to general prevost the northern frontier of georgia being supposed to be settled into a state of quiet colonel campbell turned his attention towards sunbury and was about to proceed against that place when he received intelligence that it had surrendered to general prevost sir henry clinton had ordered that officer to cooperate from east florida with colonel campbell on hearing that the troops from the north were off the coast he entered the southern frontier of georgia and invested sunbury which after a slight resistance surrendered at discretion the state of georgia reduced having placed a garrison in the fort he proceeded to savannah took command of the army and detached colonel campbell with eight hundred regulars and a few provincials to augusta which fell without resistance and thus the whole state of georgia was reduced while the expedition conducted by lieutenant colonel campbell was preparing at new york congress was meditating the conquest of east florida the delegates of south carolina and georgia anxious that a general of more experience than howe should command in the southern department had earnestly pressed that he should be recalled and that general lincoln whose military reputation was high should be appointed to succeed him in compliance with their solicitations howe was ordered in september seventeen seventy eight to repair to the headquarters of general washington and lincoln was directed to proceed immediately to charleston in south carolina in order to take command in the southern department general lincoln takes the command of the southern army in pursuance of this resolution general lincoln repaired to charleston where he found the military affairs of the country in a state of utter derangement congress had established no continental military chest in the southern department this omission produced a dependence on the government of the state for supplies to move the army on any emergency and consequent subjection of the troops in continental service to its control the militia though taken into continental service considered themselves as subject only to the military code of the state these regulations threatened to embarrass all military operations and to embroil the general with the civil government 
while lincoln was laboring to make arrangements for the ensuing campaign he received intelligence of the appearance of the enemy off the coast the militia of north carolina amounting to two thousand men commanded by generals ash and rutherford had already reached charleston but were unarmed and congress had been unable to provide magazines in this part of the union these troops were therefore entirely dependent on south carolina for every military equipment and arms were not delivered to them until it was too late to save the capital of georgia so soon as it was ascertained that the british fleet had entered the savannah river general lincoln proceeded with the utmost expedition towards the scene of action on his march he received intelligence of the victory gained over general howe and was soon afterwards joined by the remnant of the defeated army at perrysburg a small town on the north side of the savannah where he established his headquarters the regular force commanded by general prevost must have amounted to at least three thousand effective men and this number was increased by irregulars who had joined him in georgia the american army rather exceeded three thousand six hundred men of whom not quite two thousand five hundred were effective something more than one thousand were continental troops part of whom were new levies the rest were militia the theatre of action was so well adapted to defensive war that although general prevost was decidedly superior to his adversary it was difficult to extend his conquests into south carolina major gardner defeated by general moultrie with the view of entering that state by the way of the sea-coast he detached major gardner with about two hundred men to take possession of the island of port royal that officer soon after reaching his place of destination was attacked by general moultrie and compelled to retreat with considerable loss this repulse checked the designs of prevost on south carolina from the commencement of the war a considerable proportion of the western inhabitants of the three southern states had been attached to the royal cause the first successes of the british were soon communicated to them and they were invited to assemble and join the king's standard at augusta insurrection of the tories in south carolina who are defeated by colonel pickens about seven hundred embodied themselves on the frontiers of south carolina and began their march to that place they were overtaken by colonel pickens at the head of the neighboring militia near kittle creek and defeated with considerable loss colonel boyd their leader was among the slain and several of those who escaped were apprehended tried and five of them executed as traitors about three hundred reached the british outposts and joined the royal standard this defeat broke the spirits of the tories for a time and preserved quiet in the west as an american army gained strength by reinforcements of militia general lincoln began to contemplate offensive operations a detachment had been stationed nearly opposite to augusta under general ash and he proposed joining that officer so soon as a sufficient force could be collected and attempting to recover the upper parts of georgia before he was able to execute this plan general prevost withdrew his troops from augusta to hudson's ferry ash was then ordered to cross the savannah and take post near the confluence of briar creek with that river this camp was thought unassailable its left was covered by a deep swamp and by the savannah the front was secured by briar creek which is unfordable several miles and makes an acute angle with the river having determined to dislodge the americans from this position prevost kept up the attention of general lincoln by the semblance of a design to cross the savannah 
and at the same time amused general ash with a feint on his front while lieutenant-colonel prevost made a circuit of about fifty miles and crossing briar creek fifteen miles above the ground occupied by ash came down unperceived and unsuspected on his rear ash surprised and defeated by prevost ash unused to the stratagems of war was so completely engaged by the manoeuvres in his front that lieutenant-colonel prevost was almost in his camp before any intelligence of his approach was received the continental troops under general albert were drawn out to oppose him and commenced the action with great gallantry but most of the militia threw away their arms and fled in confusion as they precipitated themselves into the swamp and swam the river not many of them were taken general albert and his small band of continental troops aided by one regiment of north carolina militia were soon overpowered by numbers and the survivors were compelled to surrender themselves prisoners of war the killed and taken amounted to between three and four hundred men general albert and colonel mcintosh were among the latter but the loss sustained by the american army was much more considerable the dispersed militia returned to their homes and not more than four hundred and fifty of them could be reassembled this victory was supposed to give the british such complete possession of georgia that a proclamation was issued the succeeding day by general prevost establishing civil government and appointing executive and judicial officers to administer it these disasters instead of terrifying south carolina into submission animated that state to greater exertions mr john rutledge a gentleman of great talents and decision was elected governor and the legislature passed an act empowering him and the council to do everything that appeared to him and them necessary for the public good all the energies of the state were drawn forth the militia were called out in great numbers and the laws for their government were rendered more severe thus reinforced general lincoln resumed his plan for recovering the upper parts of georgia and marched the main body of his army up the savannah this river was now swelled greatly beyond its usual limits and the swamps marshes and creeks which intersect the country being full seemed to present an almost impassable barrier to an invading army a small military force being deemed sufficient to arrest the progress of an enemy through a route which if at all practicable was so difficult about eight hundred of the state militia aided by two hundred continental troops were left with general moultrie for the defence of the country aware of the importance of this movement and hoping to recall lincoln by alarming him for the safety of charleston prevost compels moultrie to retreat general prevost suddenly crossed the savannah with three thousand men and advancing rapidly on general moultrie obliged him to retreat with precipitation the militia could not be prevailed on to defend the passes with any degree of firmness and moultrie instead of drawing aid from the surrounding country sustained an alarming diminution of numbers by desertion on the passage of the river by prevost an express had been dispatched to lincoln with the intelligence persuaded that the british general could meditate no serious attempt on charleston and that the real object was to induce him to abandon the enterprise in which he was engaged he detached a reinforcement of three hundred light troops to aid moultrie and crossing the savannah himself continued his march down the south side of that river towards the capital of georgia though the original purpose of general prevost had been limited to the security of georgia the opposition he encountered was so much less than he had expected the tenor of the country was so apparent the assurances of those who flocked to his standard 
of the general disposition of the people to terminate the calamities of war by submission were so often and so confidently repeated prevost marches to charleston that he was emboldened to extend his views and to hazard the continuation of his march to charleston on receiving intelligence of this threatening aspect of affairs in south carolina lincoln recrossed the savannah and hastened to the relief of that state the situation of charleston was extremely critical the inhabitants entirely unapprehensive of an attack by land had directed their whole attention to its protection against an invasion by sea had prevost continued his march with the rapidity with which it was commenced the place must have fallen but after having gained more than half the distance he halted and consumed two or three days in deliberating on his future measures while his intelligence determined him to proceed and assured him of a state of things which rendered success almost certain that state of things was rapidly changing fortifications on the land side were commenced and prosecuted with unremitting labor the neighboring militia were drawn into the town the reinforcements detached by general lincoln and the remnant of the legion of pulaski arrived and the governor also entered the city at the head of some troops which had been stationed at orangeburg the next morning prevost crossed ashley river and encamped just without cannon shot of the works the town was summoned to surrender and the day was spent in sending and receiving flags the neutrality of south carolina during the war leaving the question whether that state should finally belong to great britain or the united states to be settled in the treaty of peace was proposed by the garrison and rejected by prevost who required that they should surrender themselves prisoners of war this proposition being also rejected the garrison prepared to sustain an assault but an attempt to carry the works by storm was too hazardous to be made and prevost came to the prudent resolution of decamping that night and recrossing ashley river the british army passed into the island of st james and thence to that of st john's which lies south of charleston harbor soon after which general lincoln encamped in the neighborhood so as to confine them in a great degree to the island they occupied this island is separated from the main land by an inlet to which the name of stono river has been given and the communication is preserved by a ferry a british post was established upon the main land at this ferry and works were thrown up in front for its defence when prevost commenced his retreat and the troops were moving from island to island the occasion seemed a fair one for attacking it only eight hundred men commanded by lieutenant-colonel maitland defended it but a large corps still lay on the island to prevent these troops from supporting those on the mainland general moultrie who commanded in charleston was ordered to pass over a body of militia into james's island who should amuse the enemy in st john's while a real attack should be made on the post at the ferry lincoln attacks the british at the ferry but without success about seven in the morning general lincoln commenced this attack with about one thousand men and continued it with great spirit until he perceived that strong reinforcements were crossing over from the island when he called off his troops and retreated unmolested to his old ground general moultrie had been unable to execute that part of the plan which devolved on him boats were not in readiness to convey the men into james's island and consequently the feint on st john's was not made the loss of the americans in killed and wounded amounted to twenty-four officers and one hundred and twenty-five privates that of the british was stated to be rather less 
three days after this action the posts at stono and st john's were evacuated the heat now became too excessive for active service and the british army after establishing a post on the island contiguous to port royal and st helena retired into georgia and st augustine the american militia dispersed leaving general lincoln at the head of about eight hundred men with whom he retired to sheldon where his primary object was to prepare for the next campaign which it was supposed would open in october the invasion of the southern states wore so serious an aspect that bland's regiment of cavalry and the remnant of that lately baylor's now commanded by lieutenant-colonel washington with the new levies of virginia were ordered to repair to charleston and to place themselves under the command of general lincoln the execution of these orders was for a time suspended by the invasion of virginia an expedition against that state had been concerted in the spring between sir henry clinton and sir george collier the commander-in-chief of the british naval force on the american station invasion of virginia by general matthews the land troops assigned to this service were commanded by general matthews the transports on board of which they embarked were convoyed by the admiral in person on the ninth of may the fleet entered the chesapeake and the next day anchored in hampton roads virginia had raised a regiment of artillery for the performance of garrison duty in the state which had been distributed along the eastern frontier and slight fortifications had been constructed in the most important situations which were defensible on the side of the water but were not tenable against a military force strong enough to act on land fort nelson on the west side of elizabeth river garrisoned by about one hundred and fifty soldiers commanded by major matthews was designed to protect the towns of norfolk and portsmouth which were on each side of the river just above it and the town of gosport which lies still higher up on a point of land intervening between two branches of the river norfolk and portsmouth were places of the most considerable commerce in virginia large supplies for the army were deposited in them and the state government had established at gosport a marine yard where ships of war and other vessels were building for which naval stores were collected to a very great amount the destruction of these vessels and stores constituted the principal object of general matthews on the morning of the tenth the fleet entered elizabeth river and the troops were landed about three miles below the fort without opposition foreseeing that the works would be attacked the next morning on the land side the garrison evacuated the fort in the night and took refuge in a deep and extensive swamp called the dismal which could not be penetrated without difficulty even by single persons the whole seaboard on the south side of james river being now in possession of general matthews he fixed his headquarters at portsmouth whence small parties were detached to norfolk gosport kemp's landing and suffolk where military and naval stores to a great amount and several vessels richly laden fell into his hands this invasion was of short duration general matthews after destroying the magazines which had been collected in the small towns near the coast and the vessels in the rivers was ordered by sir henry clinton to return to new york where he arrived towards the last of may the admiral and general were both so impressed with the importance of portsmouth as a permanent station that they united in representing to the commander-in-chief the advantages to be derived from keeping possession of it but in the opinion of sir henry clinton the army did not at that time admit of so many subdivisions and with a view to more interesting objects portsmouth was evacuated End of chapter four